What's going on today? Thanks for stopping by. This episode of the podcast is proudly brought to you by Muskoka Spray Foam Insulation. If you need your home spray foamed, be sure to check out msfi.ca today. Drew and the crew are waiting to hear from you. By Highland Custom Builders, your vision built custom. By Kyle Outrich Productions, if you need custom graphic work, merchandise, or anything for your big event, be sure to check out Kyle Outrich Productions today. Find them on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you name it, they're there for you for your custom graphic work. And lastly, we're brought to you by Manscaped. Be sure to check out the gold standard in men's grooming by heading over to manscaped.com. Find what you need. Be sure to check out the Lawn Mower 3.0. And when you get ready to check out, use the offside code OFFSIDE20 to get yourself 20% off on your purchase. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's go. Are you ready to go offside? Because it's Offside Hockey Talk with your host, James Roberts. Ladies and gentlemen, with everything shaking out with the return to play for the NHL, had to sit down with someone who's very important in the industry, and that's Dennis Bernstein. Dennis, how are you doing today? Doing great. How are things going to help us? You know what? It is actually a scorcher here today, which is not too bad, um, <laughs> but it's nice weather. We live on the, the coast, obviously, so we get a lot of fog, a lot of clouds, yes. so when the sun hits, you take the advantage. Let's do it. I'm ready to talk. <laughs> well, let's introduce you a little bit. Obviously, you're an LA insider. You're the senior writer at the fourth period. You're part of the Pro Hockey Writers Association LA chapter. You're the chair. Uh, obviously, you can hear you on the Sirius XM for the hot stove for the NHL and the Kings of the Pod creator. And last but not least, you also are a reporter for the NHL Network. So after that long list of resumes, what's your favorite thing to do on a day-to-day basis? Um, I really like the radio. I mean, Kings the Podcast has had a tremendous response. We had Rob Blake on last week in, in a 40-minute interview. He was really transparent and uh, really uh, humanistic. He really showed his human side. He was, uh, was affable. He made some jokes. So, uh, But I do like the radio, and I'm on the radio literally. I'm not only serious like them, but now I'm going to be doing two times a week on uh, Montreal 690 TSN Radio. Uh, usually I'm, I have a regular spot on... Um, on uh, TSN Winnipeg, I'm on you know Pittsburgh once in a while, so uh, and TSN uh, you know all over, really over the all over North America. So uh, I think the radio part is really good. I like being on TV. It's a little weird being on in a TV studio, a small TV studio, uh, doing hits before Kings games. But uh, since they're eliminated out of the playoffs, we probably won't be on the air um, too much um, on the intro network. Now I might get called while I'm in Edmonton, because that's the plan. But I think radio is the, the the, to me, it's the most immediate medium. You get more feedback, and the audience is pretty substantial being on SiriusXM. No, for sure. Well, you can listen to uh, SiriusXM, tune in anywhere you are in your car, and then obviously terrestrial radio, you can listen in when you're on TSN, obviously wherever you are, and those are also online too. So the audience is huge, and it's not specific. It's obviously all over the map. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just a blessing. So uh, but happy to do it, yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, i got to ask you the question. Obviously, I ask everybody this. What got you into hockey? What struck the match? And what got Dennis on yeah. the other uh, path to talking about hockey and being a part of hockey and being in general? It's one sentence. I wanted to get into hockey games for free. <laughs> and media gets it for free. So basically, that's it. So that, that's where it started. And back in the... Uh, and I'm an old cat, so probably back in the mid-90s, um, I was a season ticket holder for uh, the New Jersey Devils. And then won the cup with Bodor and Peluso and all those guys. And uh, I went to a party one night, uh, met some young kid, and we just struck up a conversation. And he knew a lot of the players. I was like, wow. And I, and I was a New York Ranger fan growing up in the, in the city. And then I moved to Central New Jersey, became a Flyers fan, because that was the, the Broadstreet Bullies. And in the 80s, kind of got away from uh, hockey. But then in the mid-90s, when, when we moved back to North Jersey, um, just was a Devils fan. And I uh, just wanted to get into the, the media. So... I basically started a uh, little fan letter, a Devils fan letter, uh, and the worst thing you could tell, and the Devils weren't like, when it comes to ranking teams, but it's like the, the want for um, promotion, um, the Devils were last, because Lou Lamorell didn't want to promote the team or do anything like that, so, uh, they, you know, they tried to stop me, and the worst thing to tell me is they get to something, so I came at it was more bigger, and basically, from doing that newsletter, um, that was the beginning of the day, right, mid-90s, so. Uh, I found a website looking for writers. I um, submitted my 
newsletter, and they said, yeah, you're pretty good. We'll give you own column. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. So I kept writing for about three, four years, and then I think the transition was moved to Los Angeles in 99, and then 2000, ESPN Radio started their network. And their producers were looking for guys to go on the air on weekends, and they, one producer found my website, my column. I went on, and I was actually talking to a guy I knew back from the East Coast, Joe D'Ambrosio, who um, does a lot of work on ESPN still as the Connecticut Huskies play-by-play guy. It was like me and you talking. Um, and I did about six, eight minutes and made a joke. Is it going to come back on the air tomorrow? I'm like, yeah, sure. And what I didn't realize, because I knew nothing about radio at the time, is that on weekends, most sports talk stations don't have their own hosts. So I was on in about 350 markets in North America. Just like getting pings from all over North America, like Cody, Wyoming, and Evansville, Indiana, Las Vegas, San Diego. I started going on and more and more and more. And it just I just built a body of work, and now we sit today, and I'm a member of the... Uh, you know, the member of the Hockey Writers Association, I get the book for the NHL Award, I have my own show on Sirius XM. It's just a matter of just um, being passionate about the sport. So it's about, it doesn't really matter if it's sports or whatever. Uh, just my advice to people is to find their passion and, and then try to monetize it. And because if, if it had not progressed the way it has, then I would still would have had a really neat hobby, right? I would have been, you know, doing this on the side. And I did work for Red Bull for six years up until a couple of weeks ago. So um, it just was basically finding a passion. I was a decent writer. And, and for people that want to get in this business, I'm the perfect role model because if you look at my credentials, I shouldn't be in this spot. Um, I have an undergraduate degree in accounting, a master's in finance. I got a C in English, in freshman English in college, and I've never taken a journalism course or a creative writing course in my life. So on paper, like, you know, if you, look, if you would draft me, if you do an, a draft of NHL writers, I would not be drafted. I would have been a free agent. So, uh, but I was a decent business writer. I could put together sentences well. And um, so I think that's, that's kind of how it spun out to where it is today. And uh, I kept reading and studying and working on my craft. And today I'm in the point in time where I'm very privileged to be able to be part of hockey history. Well, you're sitting right in there. And, I mean, some of the best players, I mean, uh, Marty St. Louis comes to mind. Not drafted, but obviously a great player. So maybe you're in the same ilk, just in the writer category. Yeah, exactly. As <laughs> a, you know, I'm not gritty. I'm not gritty fourth liner, but I just uh, I've been elevated to the first line. I don't know how, but uh, just uh, just and spot relationships too. You, know, you get you get to touch people, and you get to. I had I was very very fortunate here in Los Angeles because um, when I started out, Helene Elliott, who's a Hall of Fame writer, writes for the LA Times. Uh, I would turn to her for advice on certain things, and she would be very gracious with, with guidance and things of that nature. So you can't do it alone, no matter how great a writer you are. You do need to build relationships with uh, uh, with, with colleagues, certainly with clubs, if you get that far to, to be dealing with NHL clubs. And my advice to people that are really kind of trying starting out would be to, to always write. Write something at least once or maybe every other day um, to just really just to hone your, your talent and your skill. Well, the uh, the adage goes, you know, the right people are always watching. Just keep doing what you do and what gets you to the dance, yeah. and people will pay attention. And you're right, building those relationships are huge, and, you know, it goes a long way, you know, just to make sure that you're, not only your name's getting out there, but people understand who you are, what you represent, and like you said, the passion. The passion has to be there, yeah. and people recognize that and run with it. Yes, absolutely, yeah. That's what it is. That's, nobody wants to be going through life mediocre, and I just made a decision that, you know, at 40 years old to get into this business, which was, um, you know, really a really, like I said, a really great decision. And I've been blessed to be able to witness history and be on the ice for the last seven or eight, ten cups that have been awarded. It's just basically a dream come true. Well, speaking of history, obviously, the LA Kings have a, a rich one, obviously winning those cups. And now they're on the other side of things, obviously getting great draft picks and building. I got to ask you, what were your thoughts on the. NHL draft lottery, obviously the seven teams that picked obviously won't went to eight because one of the sure. playing teams are there. But what was your thoughts before we get into LA's position? What were your thoughts on the setup and uh, how it all shook out? Well, first off the top, I would not trade the look on Bill Daly's face when he turned over that placeholder court for anything in the world. And so he's <laughs> like, oh no, I can't believe it. So that's number one. Number two, for people that want to criticize, uh, let's see who gets the pick. Okay, because if it's Winnipeg or... I always give the example of Montreal, right? How is this... Let's say they lose in the first round to Pittsburgh. They win the lottery. How does this league lose by having a French-Canadian kid playing at Bell Center next season? We don't. Uh, you know, Toronto has off the Matthews. It would be great if they had Lafreniere. So I have no problem with it. Now, 
is, and then you see today there's a report from Pittsburgh that they're holding out none of their players because there's secondary exposure to COVID-19. Now, Pittsburgh would lose the first round, and they would win, and you see skating next to Sid Crosby, or if Edmonton flops again, and he's skating next to either the Guion O'Connor, then you got a right to criticize. I have no problem with it. Look, I've used this terminology since March, the middle of March. We are landing on the best of bad ideas. Yep. Right? So is it perfect? No. Right? It, it, it's it, it just, you, if you can't adapt to this, if you don't like it, you think it's bastardizing hockey, then don't watch. Don't participate. Sit out. Go, and you, you want to, you know, I always go back to look at what they're doing in baseball. Hmm. A 60-game season, and universal DH, and on, in the 10th inning, there's a runner on second. The starting that would be like playing with seven guys in the NHL or playing, you know, forty minute games. So I, I think they they did the best they could. They have to make some allowances. Is it going to be unfair if Pittsburgh that was almost, probably would have been a hundred point team if they got Lafreniere? Yeah, but like I said, if one of the lesser teams that gets eliminated in the first round gets them, I have no problem with it. And again, I, the other point I want to make about this is that you know this is this is not a generational player. Lafreniere is an excellent player, clearly the number one draft pick. But I go back to last season. Remember when people said Jack Hughes and Cabo Castle were generational players? Yep. Well, Jack finished the season on a left wing in New Jersey, and Castle's on the fourth line in New York. It's not that easy. It will help a team, right? It, it will, whoever gets him certainly will get a boost like this player. He projects to be Jonathan Uberdo, but how many cups has Jonathan Uberdo won in Florida? Right? Yeah. So it's, it's not that simple. It's not that easy. It's not adding LeBron James. You know, to the Lakers, they won a championship. It, it doesn't work like that in this league. It's a 23 man roster. You need, and with a flat cap, you need prospects for an entry level contract. So I have no problem with it. They did the best they can. I know it was kind of wacky. I know some people advocated just why not just the seven teams? We didn't finish the season, so whatever. So, but again, I want to see how it plays out, to be honest with you, to see um, which player gets it. And then if you want to criticize, I get it. I understand. Well, it goes for maximum chaos, and it also goes for another bank, too, that it keeps us talking about the NHL entry draft yeah. until it happens. So, I mean, exactly. it, the NHL wins no matter what. Not only do they win with the fact that it created drama, that now you have to figure out what team it's going to, but now you're going to be talking about it, and people are going to do mock drafts and have fun with it. And it, you know what? It's creating intrigue across the board because, like you just said, what if he goes to Montreal? What if he goes to Pittsburgh? What if he goes to Winnipeg? Which would have been, if you look at it, a placeholder team, if you were going with the regular draft odds, it would have been the Winnipeg Jets winning the lottery and moving into that spot. Right. So maybe the Jets get him and he gets to play with Patrick Line and all things are hunky-dory. But right. as a Maple Leafs fan and obviously a Maple Leafs podcast, I don't want him to go to Montreal. But I can see the allure and the reason and the business. Robbery? Come on. You, oh. you want Alexis up against Austin. Come on. Listen, I would love for Montreal to get good. And we just talked about how good Lafreniere might be. Um, not generational, but obviously really good. I just don't want them to be get better than the Maple Leafs. That's all. Because they've already got Carey Price. So if they start scoring, then there's a problem. Yeah. And the funny thing about the draft also being in October, remember, they're drafting 17, 18-year-old kids. Yeah. We had a kid over the summer grow another inch and gain 15 pounds. So Stutzley goes another inch and 15 pounds. Is he going to be more attractive to L.A. than Quentin Byfield is? Which I assume is going to be their pick. So they, these teams have to track these players longer because they're in, they're in their teenage years and they could substantially grow over the summer. Players do have uh, you know growth spurts. They do work out more. They get better nourishment. So that's another thing to watch is that they have to keep tracking these players and some of these players actually might get some play, some games in before the actual draft next year, uh, in October. So it's a very intriguing. When it comes to the draft, it's, even, it's far more intriguing than a normal season. Well, that's something I want to ask you, obviously. Byfield and Stutzel are the two players that are, you know, honed in basically for the LA Kings. And, you know, I've heard Rob Blake and I've heard Robitaille, you know, and on the 31 Thoughts podcast talk about the fact that, oh, this might be where we go or we might go that way. And he wouldn't tip his hand either side. But you look at the top prospects in the organization, if you look at the top 10, I mean, a lot of them are centers. You got Dudas, you got Thomas, yeah. Kupari, Madden, Turcotte, Velarde. I mean, Another yep. center into that would be great, but at the same time, I mean, when do you start addressing other sides? I mean, you do have 3D in your top 10 for your prospects as well, but the winger side looks a little thin. 
and I'm wondering what you would do if you had the GM cap on. Would you just go with the best player available in Byfield or Stutzel, or would you maybe look to trade out of the top two spots and move up in the draft or move down in the draft? Sorry. Yeah, you don't want yeah you don't want to trade away from the second best player in the, in the whatever who's ever on your board at two. I don't see that happening. I really would be really, really surprised. Even people say you could try, you know, two plus something for the three and the five. I, I want to pick the guy behind that right here. I, that, that's yeah. what I would do. And I, I believe it's five field. I just think that, you know, when you look at the projections, to be honest with you, who does that kid project to? Kopitar, Ma- Kopitar Malkin, uh, a young Eric Stoll, maybe a Lindros. Um, and it's funny, I, 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 I'm close with Kopitar, so we text back and forth when they got the second overall. He goes, what is this kid? What is that? He actually projects to Andre Kopitar, and Kopitar texts back. He goes, I'd like another Kopi on the team. So I think it would set them now. With respect to your question about centers, yes, they have a rich, riches of centers because, again, Velarde's in the middle of you put Byfield in second. You have Jared Anderson Doan. You mentioned, you know, uh, um, Akil Thomas. They have probably six centers. Some of these players are going to have to move the wing. Yeah. It's as simple as that. And it's much easier moving from center to the wing than moving from wing to center. So I think at some point, you probably have uh, maybe Turcotte goes to wing. Uh, but again, that's a great problem to have. And the other issue is, and you mentioned defense, which they, they, they do want that left side partner for Giudani. They really don't have that elite player at, at this point in time that's you know, going to play 25 minutes a night next to Drew for the next five or six years. But what they can do is... They have the other thing is they have three second round picks this year. Yep. Um, if your boy Clifford signs in Toronto in the off season, they'll have three second round picks next year. What they really do, and I suspect they could do, is use some of those second round picks to trade into the low first round and maybe grab a defensive there. If they don't, I think they can use all three picks to go for defense. But they have enough forwards. They certainly have enough forwards. They're solid in goaltending, both in um, with respect to. Uh, Cal Peterson, Jonathan Quick, and their prospect pool. I, I think the next move after Byfield or would be um, a defenseman, and that's what they're looking for. So, if this was uh, on his wish list, Blake's wish list, it would be certainly the second best player in the draft, and then a left side defense. And when you look at their left side, they come in right now. When you look at their depth chart, they got the most uh, tenure on the left side is Curtis McDermott, and he's got 90 games in the NHL because Ben Hunt's not coming back, Joaquin Ron's not coming back. Bjornfoot's played a handful of games on the left side. Mikey Anderson's played seven games in the NHL. They really will address the left side in free agency. Not a big play. They'll probably go with maybe a, a Joel Evanson, someone along those levels. Uh, but they do need to bulk up their left side. So if they're going to be drafting in either the top of the bottom of the first by moving up or in the second round, you can pretty make sure it's a pretty good bet they're looking for a left pair defenseman, a left side defenseman. Yeah, see, that was my thought, obviously. You look through, like I said, the top 10. Obviously, wing was a, a little scarce for, for top prospects, and, of course, D had three up in there. But, yeah, yeah you, you get, definitely got to address the defense. Obviously, champions that are won from the net out, as we've seen with the LA Kings before. Yeah. Obviously, having Jonathan Quick back there, Drew Doughty, you know, you name it, on the defense as well. So, my ultimate question here is, what do you think is the future for the LA Kings going into next season? Obviously, you still got guys like Jeff Carter and you know Brown and Clifford, or not Clifford, um, sorry, Kopitar, and obviously Quick between the pipes. But those guys are you know going to the back nine or towards it, and not say Cliff, you know, Kopitar yeah. is out of it. But you know what happens here? Is this another year where LA King fans kind of have to bite the bullet and say, okay, we may not be that great, but we got these young players coming up, or? Do you think they make enough tweaks in the offseason and have the tandem between Quick and Peterson to get themselves into a playoff spot? And then obviously, as we know with the LA Kings, you roll the dice and you can go all the way. Well, a couple of things. This is going to be a season of evaluation, right? Because you have all those prospects. And you look at a ranking, they're the ranking one or two with respect to their prospect pool in the NHL. But you have to figure out where these players fit on the depth chart. Where does, where does Alex Turcott fit? On the depth. Is he a winger? Is he center? Is Gabe Velarde going to leverage the first the, the first ten games of his career and play better? Right? Where's Kapari fit? He's coming off a knee injury. The second overall pick, I assume it's Byfield. I don't think he's going to make the team, so he's probably going to go back to juniors. Right? Uh, what happens with Oliver Kaliev? This is an unusual situation with Kaliev because of the age situation. He either plays in the OHL or the NHL next year. Now he is certainly uh, probably the premier goal scorer of that draft last year. 
what if he said? So they have to evaluate where they sit on the death chart. With that said, I did ask Rob, like on our podcast, about, you know, what about next season? He expects them to be in contention for a playoff spot next season. I would like to see, you know, if you project their season, it was probably, even the 70 game winning series, probably about maybe 75, 76 points. So I want to say, well, about maybe 10 point progression to about 86, maybe a little over 500 hockey. Like he thinks, he expects them to be playing games of importance in February. Well, it can't be February, March. When we get to game 60, those games would be of import for a playoff spot. Okay. Unlike this season where they were out of it in 40, they got hot at the end, they won seven straight. But his expectation is that they should be in the in the conversation uh, when we get to game 60. So that's the expectation for the organization. They do have a lot of talent. And the thing about prospects is, you know, prospects are cool, but, you know, Stanley Cup rings are cooler. Oh, uh, yeah. So it's a good thing. So, so it's not like – Kings fans should not be down to it. They should be optimistic. I think the season you look at would be the 21-22 season because at that point in time, you've evaluated most of your prospects. You'll still have draft. Uh, you'll still have other assets like draft picks, and the future ones or selections that you've made, and then I think the move off's going to make it because the flat cap is going to definitely hurt other teams and help the Kings because after next season, the Kings is a $10 million cap hit. They're going to lose the $6 million cap hit from um, Kovalchuk. And then they're going to lose about $4 million off the Dion Phaneuf contract. They're going to be able to use prospects, picks, and that cap space where they can go, if they, and you mentioned their weakness on the wing. Maybe they finally go get that left wing on yeah. the first line. That you know, And Alex Alfile has done a great job. He had a really nice season this season. He's probably a 20 and 30 guy, which would be great for your second line, not your first line. So I think in the 21-22 season, that's when he makes the big moves. I do not expect, other than getting maybe a, a transitional player, on the left side, he to help them as a veteran. I don't expect them to. I don't expect them to go for Taylor Hall, right? even though he will look great on the left side with Kopitar. I don't expect that happening. And you know, frankly, the free agents this year are in a really tough spot. I don't know anybody in this financial environment that wants to commit fifty years, sixty million dollars to Taylor Hall at this point. So I think that uh, for Kings fans, it's going to be more of a fun season because you're going to say, okay, the season ended well. And the core you mentioned, Kopitar and Daddy. Kopitar thirty-two, Daddy thirty. They have three. Already three to four more years in the product. Doing Kopitar's in great shape, but I think he'll continue to play. So I think there's enough left in their uh, in their gas tank to get to the point where once these kids develop and are NHL players, that this could be a contending team. So I think this would be a dangerous team in 21-22. I would suspect when I look at the rest of the division that they should they should compete for the conference title. Uh, following next season. Again, next season will be fun because you get to see all these kids people have talked about and we'll find out what the truth is about them. Um, but they should improve. They need to improve. They can't have another 75-point season because that would meant that either it was underperformance by the core or these these prospects didn't work out the way they expected them to. Well, let's talk about something that uh, did work out for LA Kings fans and obviously worked out for Maple Leafs fans. Let's talk about the uh, the Jake Muzzin deal from a year ago. Sure. Um, obviously, Dursey, Grundstrom, and the pick. Um, wondering for you, at the time the deal was made, did you think it was enough for Muzzin? And obviously now he's re-up with the Maple Leafs and will be around Leafland for four more years. Um, wondering, did L.A. get enough for him? And is he someone that is sorely missed by the organization? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorely missed, definitely, but a move that had to be made. Because to be honest with you, they were losing with Jake Muzzin. Yep. Right, and so they just needed to move on. And look, when you get a three for one, and you get two prospects and a and a first round pick who's Bielfoot, I think that was the right move. Um, I think that if Bielfoot may be the guy to to to, sit, to skate along Dowdy for this year, be very smooth, be impressed both the coaching staff and the players, but a necessary move. And you know, Jake's an excellent player. He grew up in Los Angeles. It was a very painful moment for everybody when he left because he was really the first big core player to move. Uh, but a necessary move. Um, not sure about Grunstrom. I mean, he's he's had a couple of opportunities with a big club to make an impact, and he hasn't. So now I see that tweener guy. I see that player that is maybe a really good AHL player um, and not so good in the NHL. So I'm not sure he's going to be like, – he would be perfect as the second-line left wing. But he hasn't shown much. He hasn't produced when he's given the opportunity. The next season is a crucial – season for Carl Grunstrom. He's going to get the opportunity. They want to promote these players. They want to get younger. Um, he's the opportunity to come in and earn a spot in the uh, 
in there. Jersey, yeah, we'll see. He's a quarterback. He's a power play quarterback. He's not a defender that they really need. So, look, the prospect's not going to look out, but if you get one player out of that trade who's going to be on an entry-level deal, right, it, it, it helps the team with respect to their progression because, again, they weren't winning with these players. They weren't winning with the Foley. They weren't. They were just, you know, a 27th place team. So I have no problem with it. There's an emotional tie to these fans because, again, these are the players that won two cups. These are the players that changed history in Los Angeles. So there's going to be some sort of angst when they do move. But I think it was the right move for both teams. And certainly Jake was a guy the least needed. And now, yeah, I think even a great extent, Carl Clifford, what he brings to the ice, what he brings to the room, yeah. that's something that that team really needed. So it's toughness. But, yeah, I, I like the... the, the um, Regardless how it works out, I think if they can get Bjornfoot to be a top four defenseman, then it was a great trade for both sides. Well, we'll talk about the the soup and the uh, the, the Cliff deal as well. Obviously, uh, we, Cliffy's kind of the same ilk as Muzzin. We just talked about, you know, fan favorite, you know, there through things. And, you know, one of those guys who wears his heart on his sleeve. And obviously, we just said it. Came to Toronto, injected the energy, injected the toughness we needed. Obviously, everybody seemed to stand up a little bit taller when he came in the lineup. So, And the fans absolutely adore him already. So, And we want him to stick around, whether it costs us a draft pick or not. But, obviously, with the cap staying flat, that might be a problem. The one I really want to talk about, obviously, is Jack Campbell. Um what do you think yeah. went into, you know, making him available? Because obviously he came in and was a steadying force behind Anderson. And when Anderson went down, he wanted some crucial games. So I'm wondering what made it so he was available and, and tradable. And obviously at Peterson and Quick, but what else is in the pipeline? What else is, um, I guess, coming up that allowed him to be available? Because obviously for Leafs fans, he was kind of a savior for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, there's not a, a nicer kid in the planet than Jack Campbell. Just a wonderful guy to cover. He was just a joy every day, just smiling, happy, very positive to him. So he's certainly going to influence um, the room that way. Uh, just simply, uh, Cal Peterson is the future in L.A. And Jack had good numbers. Here's what happened. To, to Jack and Cal, there was a battle there for um, the second spot. And maybe some people thought the first spot because John Quick had a horrible season last year. Right, not, not this present season, but the last full season. And there were some questions about it. He just totally lost it. He's been, been hurt in a couple of different seasons. So when they went into the season, they had a three-headed monster. They had Quick, and they had Peterson, and they had Campbell. They, they weren't going to finish the season with all three. Somebody was going to move. And to be honest with you, they gave Jack an opportunity. Jack didn't really, really grasp it. Um, John Quick came back, finished the season strong. So the logical trade would be Jack Campbell. Because they do believe Cal Peterson is the future. Cal played seven games, played really well. Um, he's the guy that they're that grooming. But Jack, in his role, should be fine. He absolutely should be fine. If he's going to play 25 to 30 games behind Freddie Anderson, fine. He's going to face more rubber probably than, than usual. But I, I think that's a great move for the Leafs. I think that was the right move. It didn't cost them much. You know, Cap hit this year was 675. Next year it goes to 160. But I certainly think Jack will be the right guy. And they have people in the pipeline. Um, they have a Jacob Ingham. They have a, a, a Parrick, a kid from the Czech Republic. So they had guys at the, at the NHL level in L.A. And they had players in the pipeline um, with respect to their prospects. So it made sense to move one of these goaltenders. And they got a decent deal out of it uh, with respect to the trade. But I, I think Jack is in a perfect goal. He's 28 years old. He, he understands the backup role. He's not going to beat up Freddie Anderson. But if Freddie does get beat up, could you go and put Jack in the um, – in, in the pipes and not feel bad about it. Yeah, Jack can accord himself fine. It depends how much your defense plays in front of him and how much of a defensive mindset he has, <laughs> which isn't really great at times. But yeah, Jack's perfect for the role right now. He's got the right mentality. He's not going to complain about only getting 25 or 30 starts. He's just happy to be in the in the show and uh, he'll be great for the next uh, couple of seasons in Toronto. So there's a lot of Leaf fans that are saying, hey, maybe when uh, Freddie's deal is done in a year, Jack Campbell's the heir apparent, so what you're saying, he's probably more suited for the backup role where he didn't grab the bull by the horns in L.A. Maybe uh, he's just comfortable being the uh, the second one in, in the net there. Well, by the time that contract expires on Freddie, what, Jack will be 30 years old, and Jack's never been a number one in the league. Yeah. I mean, it's not unheard of that become a number one at 30, but I think there would be competition uh, for Jack. I don't think that when Freddie leaves, if Freddie leaves, that Jack's going to walk into the deal. I assume Jack will have competition either for another veteran goaltender or someone in the, in the system um, that they have that will contend with Jack. I don't think he's just going to hand it to Jack. Jack's not the, let's put it this way, Jack's 
the number one in, in, uh, in waiting. He's not the heir apparent to Freddie Anderson, right? Could he be that guy in 21-22? He could, very well could be. He has the skill, uh, but I, I don't think it's going to be just handed to him if it comes to that point in time where Freddie Anderson leaves. No, that's an answer that Leafs fans would want to hear. And obviously, as someone who's covered him and watched him and talked to him and knows the person, not just the player, you know, that's good for us to know and good for us to hear. Um, so we'll move on from the LA Kings for a moment here. Um, you are going to Edmonton, you said, to the Hub City. So you can, are you credentialed? Are you going into the building? Obviously, we're hearing lots of different things of how it's going to be done. Um, have they given you any, like, protocol or anything like that for when you get yeah. to the Hub City? Yeah, there is a protocol that... But when we came out with phase three and phase four protocols, there is uh, a media protocol. But they are working on that right now with respect to access. Uh, between the fourth period stuff, like PHWA status and SiriusXM, which I assume would be doing some sort of radio from the rink, I expect to be there. But being an American, I have to go to Edmonton on Friday and sit in a hotel room for two weeks under quarantine and then get to the game. So I have to go two weeks in advance of the first game on, on August 1st. I'll be sitting in hopefully a, a nice suite at the Double Tree in downtown for 14 days looking at the window and doing my, my hockey stuff. But that's the plan right now. Uh, but I would only stay for the qualifying round uh, because it's just too I'll be two weeks away from home. If I have to do the cup final, uh, that's another story, which I, I, I do want to do. But again, there's some consideration of the 14-day quarantines in place in September that would entail me being away from home for a month. I'm not sure I want to do that at this point in time. But I do want to witness history. I want to be in the building for game one like in, in Edmonton. I want to just witness that. It's going to be really crazy and eerie. You know, nobody's going to be in the buildings. We have limited media. Um, so I think what there'll be some finality. We have not gotten credentials yet. Because I guess what happened was people have applied. They've um, through the PHWA and things of that nature. So I, I think we'll get more clarity on this week. But I do have a a flight book to Edmonton on Friday, which I expect I'll be getting on. Um, so I would be there from probably the 1st to the ninth, which is the the, uh, the qualifying round, and obviously the seeding round as well uh, for these games. Because I do want to be able to witness history. You know, I'm part of history when I get to vote for the awards and things of that nature on the Astros Standard Cup. So I think it's important for me to be there from just a historical perspective to say, hey, look, I was there when the first game they played in front of no fans when there was a pandemic. Yeah, that is going to be something that's absolutely going to be history-making. Uh, a lot of people are very excited about it. Obviously, the return to play got voted on past this weekend. Um, you know, the MOU yeah. is signed. The CBA is extended. Um, want to get your initial thoughts on the return to play. Um, what do you think about the hub cities? What do you think about the lockdowns? Obviously, um, you hear some reporters saying it's like a five-star jail, basically, where these guys are going to go in and they're not going to be allowed out of these compounds um, once they're there, other than to go to the rink or to practice. Um, what are your thoughts? Do you think it can work? Do you think it's safe enough? Um, just want to get your gist of it. Yeah. Um, it's necessary for the future of the game. Because remember, it's not just a return to play. There's a return to play and a CBA that guarantees us six years of labor peace. Yep. The players understand, because they voted with almost 80% approval, that they understand what's at stake here. If we didn't, play, If we don't play, then we've got a $65 million cap and probably 50% escrow, which is something players don't want to be able to play for because they're planning to play 82 games next season. So, that, look, I know people have been critical, and, and there's always going to be doom and gloomers out there that says can't the season. And I know it came out today that nine, that nine of the Pittsburgh Penguins had potentially secondary contact with a person that had COVID-19, so they're being extra careful. But once they get to the bubble... Here's the thing. It's not that important for a player to go out to a bar in Edmonton. Right? They'll have a bar in a hotel. You want to get drunk, stay in a hotel, yep. um, and get drunk there. So I, I think that you have to understand the responsibility that you have to your, not only your teammates, but the game in general. Like, this is very, very important time. And what's better, it, like, it doesn't make any sense for someone to go out and ruin something for everyone and potentially jeopardize the finances of the league because you want to go out and have a drink. It doesn't make any sense to me. So, look, there are people right now that are, there are players right now that are around people who are positive, and it's a highly contagious disease. I don't think anybody's going to get very sick. I certainly don't think anybody's going to pass away from this. Remember, the average, the median age of an NHL player is 27, right? They have great immune systems, right? Now, the guys who have opted out, I understand, I get it. There's no problem with it, right? But I didn't expect 25 guys to opt out. I understand what's going on with Max Domi, that they want to evaluate them a little bit longer. 
So they got to be cautious there. Yep. Uh, but I, I, I think that I've read the protocols. There's not, they are not doing this on the seat of their pants. No, no, like it's in depth. Every possible point has been addressed here. And even me, I'm assuming I'm going to have to have muffled tests before I go in for the games. I'm not staying in the same hotel as the players are. Like it should be, and the players trying to get out. Good luck getting past security. There's going to be a ton of security in those hotels. Those guys are not going to be able to get out of those hotels. They're going to be going to the games, coming back, and some guys don't even want to go out. Like the Maui guys don't want to go out. You know, Sasha Bakov's going to go back, probably study video and play. You know, Fortnite. So it's not like all these guys want to go out. Now there's certain guys that maybe they're knuckleheads and going out right now that really need to stay home. This is the most important time right now. Yes. Between now and the time they leave for the bubble, stay home. Don't go out. Like if you want booze, have it sent to your house and get drunk there and do FaceTime with somebody. I mean, it's as simple as that. That right now is the most important time, right? To protect themselves. Now, granted, they're going to public venues and practicing and coming back. Something that might be avoidable. But I don't think that any positive tests here, like this is what you want to see. You want to see the Pittsburgh Penguins being overly cautious with respect to their players. Right? And what, what that means is that, okay, they might have had some exposure, so they'll have to have multiple negative tests before they can get back on the rest of their team. Right? If this happened inside the bubble, yeah, there would be issue. And it's only a week before, you know, when they enter the bubble and have the game, so maybe there's some ca- carryover effect. But, uh, again, I think they've done this so right. They've consulted with medical experts on this, infectious disease experts. They've done the best they can. And plus, you know, the MLS is playing. Major League Baseball, which has no bubble, is going to play. So for people that say, like, cancel the season, then cancel MLS, cancel NFL, cancel NBA. And let's just forget forget about it. So my question to those people, though, are, like, you know, when are we going to come back? Because, you know, a vaccine, that's going to do it? Well, in the States, probably 25% of the people won't take the vaccine. So yep. what about those people? So it, it, it's just like you, we have to learn to live with this. Right? And you actually look and dive into the numbers, which I have. A couple of things. This is a 2020 event. Like I believe that between the vaccine and medical, better therapeutics and just being smart about this disease, like we'll get through this. And in 2021, we'll have people back in the buildings and things of that nature. So we need to do all the right things. And if you think they like, then don't watch. Right? And you can see the players don't want to play. The players are on the ice. They're practicing right now. Do they want to play yet? Do they believe they're safe? Yeah. And it doesn't matter if me or you think they're not safe. These guys do, obviously, because they're on the ice skating and they want to play first family No, I 100% think that the NHL is doing it right. And if you look at any of the leagues... Obviously, I think the NHL has the best chance of finishing things out and completing the season, awarding the cup. You look at MLS, they're already having some issues. The NBA, obviously, there's already been, uh, I guess you would say, tampering within the bubble. People being invited in that weren't supposed to be and obviously screenshots and things going around the internet now. So that bubble wasn't airtight. Um, I think the NHL has the best chance. I do think they're doing it right. The only thing that I'm wondering and wanting to see happen here is I want teams to kind of put the pressure on the guys to either a stay you know go to the rink and come home or limit wherever they go and use the team whatever avenues they're giving them for delivery for food alcohol like you said whatever they want have it delivered and I want the teams to kind of lean on guys and say hey spend time with your family spend time with those you're close with but stay at home this is the most important time getting to the bubble is going to be the hardest thing and the only thing that I'm worried about, and Gary Bettman didn't actually answer the question when it was asked to him yesterday, was what happens if a team has an outbreak just before they're supposed to travel to the bubble? What happens then? Does that team get eliminated? Do we push things back? Is that team forfeited? Or do just does a team go forward with the players that are healthy? And if they can't feel the roster, what happens then? There was no answer to that. I'm wondering what your thoughts are surrounding that kind of situation. Well, it depends what type of average you're talking about. If there were 15 players that contracted it, then yeah, that'd be an issue. The players, the team might get disqualified. There might be a buy for that to the, the team that matched up. I, I don't anticipate that happening. I just, I, I don't see it. Like that would have to be a really long shot at this point in time. So again, it, you could talk about all the what ifs. Oh yeah. But I, I just think to the extent it would have to. And again, we're talking about what, 31 players. Yeah. So like three halves tested positive, that doesn't stop anything. So no. that would have to be a substantial outbreak, which I personally don't see happening. I just don't. I just say, well, what if? And I get it, I understand it, but I, I, I don't think that's in the realm of, of possibility or even probability. 
with the um, with the talk of the new CBA, obviously we touched on that for just a moment. What are your initial thoughts on it? Is there any pros that you're excited about, and are there any cons that you think might come back to bite either the players or the owners in the end? Um, look, there were no options here. Like I talked to one agent saying, look, there's no other option. What's the other option? Not to play and destroying the sport. That they had that, but the players had no option. I think it's great to see. What I do like to see is that that the level of co- cooperation between the league and the player association is unprecedented. Yep. It's usually they're at each other's throat. They hate each other. It's all this negative stuff, and but it wasn't the case because they understand what's at stake here. Like the whole future of the sport was on the table. To be honest with you, no, yeah, you have a USTD contract that can really help hockey-related revenues after next season, right? Which you want to be able to go in and to these and that's going to say, yeah, you're going to get uninterrupted sports for the next five or six years, so let's go. So I think that's it. Um, the flat cap, yeah, look, if we get back to some normalcy and we get back to the $4.8 billion, then it'll go up. I, I think there's, you see the movement the league has made, though. The yeah. graduation down of escrow, down to 6% over time. The Olympics participation, which was never on the table. I've been to a ton of press conferences during the All-Star Games in the Stanley Cup finals. That question almost comes up and Gary's always questioned the value of the, 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 the Olympics to helping the NHL out. Well, apparently it now helps them out because none of you agree to 2022 in Beijing for 2026 in Italy. Now, my question to the players are, if you're really concerned about COVID-19, do you really want to go to Beijing in 2022? <laughs> Is that really where you want to go to play hockey? So I, that's it. Um, so, But I think that it just shows to me that both sides, like, just, you know, sanity reigned here. Like they understood why, and I think the players, everybody understands where we are right now, right? If we didn't play, this the sport would not would take if if would come back, right? There would be so many. It'd be a nuclear winner if we didn't play. They understand that. So with some negative, you know, it was a positive test or whatever. I, I think the deal is fair with respect to what's going on in the league. Uh, I know some put, some agents advocate that we shouldn't have a salary cap in the sport, which is just ridiculous because you see what's going on with Major League Baseball with you know trying to figure out how to play that game with respect to prorated salaries so I, I think it's a good deal for both sides and you could see there were movement on both sides yep. it's not the best deal in the world for the players but look what the movement the movement that the players wanted from the owners they got on ESCO and the Olympics yep. so that's why they agreed 80% to, to going forward and getting this done because again they understand you know the importance of the moment well, you look at the NFL and the way they passed their deal, and it was way narrow of a margin. I think it was 48.5 to 51.5 for the yes. So, I mean, you look at the NHL, at 79 point something percent of yeah. the, the vote. That obviously shows that there is a lot of, you know what, this is what we need to do. This is the right direction. And there's a lot of things good for the players on the table. One thing that I took away that I was very happy to hear about was the 35-plus contracts, not counting towards a cap yeah. if a player retires. I really like that. I think it really limited teams to signing older players to longer-term deals to give them that little bit of flexibility as a you know an older player. Um, and it really handcuffed guys. I mean, when you look at Toronto, if Patty Marlowe were to quote-unquote retire, they may not yeah. be giving up a, a first-round pick to Carolina to get rid of his salary. So... You know, those things are good, and that helps those older players to, you know, stay around the league. And teams were leery of signing guys, so. Yep. Yeah, there you go. Right there, right? So, there's just, I like that aspect a lot. I really think it was a handcuff put on teams when that happened. The only other thing that I really didn't like that I heard about was the fact that, um, if you are a player who is a free agent right now, so use Roman Polak as an example, if you go and sign overseas to play because your team may not be playing, so he didn't know that the Dallas Stars would be coming back or hockey in general, so he went and played overseas or is going to. Um, we'll use any other player too. Uh, September to whatever, and then obviously your team gets back to training camp, say November, etc. Well, those players are no longer eligible to play in the 20-21 season. So... That didn't make sense to me. These guys, you know, want to keep up to, you know, their bodies up to date, keep their mind sharp, the playing sharp, especially the fringe guys who, you know, need to get the reps and need to get those things going on and also may need the money, you know, at the end of the day to, yeah. to keep things going, these fringe players. But now they're ineligible to play for the NHL, which probably would make them ineligible to play for the AHL as well. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. I think it was a little bit of a... I, I didn't like it. I call it a handcuff to players because now they have to sit and wait. 
well, they did move, but they did wave the line a lot. Where if you go over and play, like and sign, and it's now called in Europe, you don't need to go through waivers, right? So they they did eliminate that. So that I think that that offsets what you said right now with respect to the ability to come back. Because before, if you signed in Europe to start next season and you had to come back, you had to go through waivers, which I don't think was was patently unfair. So that that kind of eliminates that. Okay. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I want guys to be able to go and, especially, like I said, the fringe guys who don't really have the opportunities and won't have all the amenities that the stars do to keep themselves, you know, like a fine-tuned fiddle. Um, and obviously, if you're not property of a team, then obviously you want to get on the ice as much as you can. But that was the only craw that I had about it. Obviously, if both sides were unhappy, that means it's a fair deal because both team, both sides of the, the argument basically lost things that they didn't and got what they wanted in certain spots. So if you're unhappy leaving it, then everybody got what they wanted in, in the end anyways, and that's hockey coming back to the ice. And I'm very excited to see it go down. Obviously, being a Leaf-centric podcast, I want to get your opinion. Toronto takes on the, you know, run through a wall, fight through it all, Columbus Blue Jackets with John Tortorella as the head coach. They don't have Josh Anderson. Um, they are without... Um, I can't Brandon Dubinsky as well wondering what do you see coming out of the Toronto Maple Leafs taking on the Columbus Blue Jackets I don't see them sweeping them obviously but I do see Toronto being able to finally get passed around in a playoff play-in or whatever you want to call it better odds than playing Boston <laughs> the worst team the worst team they can play though the defensive minded team that grinds out games that's the worst team <laughs> I would have, if you're a Leafs fan, I would have much rather see them play Carolina without um, without Bears um, and uh, or a Florida Panthers. That's the one team I wouldn't. I'm picking. I pick Columbus. You, you know, pick Columbus five because yeah, I pick Columbus five because I think they're just. I, here's what I think is going to happen. This is not just Leafs specific. Um, I'll use the baseball analogy. At the start of the season, again, we're starting the season over from the from the standing start. Now, all, except for Anderson, all the other Blue Jackets are healthy now. Seth Jones is going to be back. Kim Atkinson is going to be back, right? Um, in baseball, early season, pitching is ahead of hitting. Defense is ahead of offense. So I think the defensive-minded teams coming out of the box, like the Islanders, like the Blue Jackets, like Winnipeg because of Connor Hellbuck, I think they have a little bit of an advantage because I'm not sure. And as great as the offensive players are on Toronto, I'm not sure you're going to have that chemistry right off the bat. That's why I have a concern. That's why I'm picking Chicago over Edmonton. Because yep. I'm not buying, you know, Edmonton's, Edmonton's, Edmonton's success this year was on special teams. And I know Connor and Leon are great. Maybe the power play is maybe great coming out of the box. I'm not sure the penalty kill will be. And then you're going to rely on Mike Smith maybe or – Koskinen to make saves in the playoffs, which I'm not really sure that's going to be good either. So I think that's that's my concern of a Leafs fan. Is that the wrong type of team? Because they're going to slow it down. They're going to grind that game. It's the opposite one play. Now, if the Leafs are going to take advantage of that, their speed and the offense is going to be clicking from game one, then, you know, and I'm not saying this is easy for Columbus. I just think that with respect to the style of play, I think in the qualifying round, first thing out of the box fine. If, if, look, if the Leafs get past them, then they, I think their their odds, I think, improve greatly to go further. I, I just think that with respect to style of play, this is the wrong thing. And granted, it's better than playing Boston out of the box. I get that. I understand that. So there, are their odds much greater to win this round? They are. I just see... Yeah, I just see them getting slowed down by by Columbus and having to play these three two games going and out. It's not really the style of play. So again, are they how much attention how much de- attention to detail will they have in their own defensive zone? That's my consideration. Like are your forwards gonna come back and play defense? I'm not sure. It's not what they're used to, so we'll see. But again, the picks are meaningless to, with respect to it because who knows? Yeah. Right? Jump off. Four months. Everybody's out. Look, I think the play overall is gonna be meaningful and the Leafs do get the Holy Grail and win a Stanley Cup, they would have had to win 19 games, which I think in and of itself would be amazing. And for people that want to put an asterisk on the season, go to baseball and give them the asterisk with their 60-game season. That was one thing I was going to ask you about, yeah. Yeah, there's no asterisk here. And I always go back to the the 2013 season when we had a lockout, they played 48 games, and Chicago won a Stanley Cup. You walk up to Jonathan Cade and say, you know what, you only played 48 games, so that cup ring should have an asterisk on it. 
you know, you know, be taking that, that imprint out of your face after you punch it in the face for it. So <laughs> I, I, I don't think, yeah, this is this is going to be the most difficult cup to win. This is going to be historical because everyone except for one or two players are healthy. Right? If you're coming out of the qualifying round, you win the cup. You have to win 19 games. You have to win five rounds. Like that's harder than any any other team, and you don't even know. Plus, you're going to be away from home for that period of time. There's so many like more obstacles to clear here. And it's not even just the most healthy team. It's the most mentally tough team. That's why I like a team like St. I think St. Louis's odds would be a even higher because they're so mentally tough. Um, and they're going to have to face that at some point in time. And if you're going to have a deep run, you are going to be away. You will, your fans will come into the conference final and stuff like that. But to be in Edmonton for that long, if you're a Western Conference team, that's going to be a major challenge. So, look, I, I think it's a toss-up. I think the least in Jackets are five games. I just lean to, to the Jackets at this point in time because of what I've mentioned. Well, my, my only hope to that, and that's a lot of things that have been thrown at me the same way, is you know they are the ill and will. They will grind you and they will make you quit. Is In the beginning of the season, the Toronto Maple Leafs, don't actually have the goaltending to stand up all the time. Freddie Anderson's a slow starter, which in this tournament you can't be. But their offense, when the season starts, is always guns a-blazing. You look at the past few seasons, they're always scoring you know, five or six to their opponents, four or five. So they're able to put the puck in the net and find ways to do it. And if they can get that power play going, that could be their bread and butter, especially with their speed. If they can get a grinding team like Columbus to clutch and grab or stick work or whatever, depending on how they're calling it, because we all know the whistles kind of go away in the playoffs. But if they call it the right way or whatever when they're usually doing it, Toronto may feed off that power play, and if it's clicking, that may be the bread and butter. My other thing is, too, you're looking at um, Merzlikens, and um, why can't I remember the other guy's name right off the top of my head? Merzlikens, not Saros, is it? Is it UC Saros? No. Corpusalo, Corpusalo. Corpus Allen. So you look at those two young goaltenders, they haven't been playoff tested. Neither of them has played a full season in the NHL either. So it's a whole bunch of pressure. But you're right. I said it way back when they started announcing this stuff. I think it was in April. To anybody who wants to put an asterisk on this cup, they're absolutely insane. You're coming off of a global pandemic, going into a bubble. You're going to play five rounds to win the cup. You haven't played a game in four months. You have limited time to get prepared and ready. And you win that cup especially if you're a play-in team, that is beast mode to the fullest. You've won the hardest Stanley Cup there was to win because you went through five rounds and the pandemic and the layoff. Yep. Oh, absolutely. This is going to be physically and mentally challenging. That something that hopefully we'll never see again, to be honest with you. But yeah, who's ever going to win this is going to earn that from day one. It's just a very unique circumstance. And, and I'm kind of, because I think, you know, look, we always talk about Stanley Cup out of being the greatest sports time in the world, right? And just go back to last year. All number one seeds lost. Right? Yep. So are there going to be upsets here? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think I don't think much of going to be Pittsburgh, but other than that, I think this is going to be a crazy time. We're going to have, you know, six games in one day. It's, it's just insane. It's going to be crazy. So I think it's uh, for the fans that missed hockey for four months, well, you're going to get an overload in about three weeks. So just strap in and, and be ready for just, I think, some phenomenal <laughs> hockey. Well, you look at this, Dennis. It's 52 games in nine days. That is a lot of hockey to take in. Yeah. And yeah, it's ridiculous. You think about it. The The only other question I want to ask you before I let you go, what do you think about the reseeding and what do you think about the, the teams that are yeah. obviously sitting and waiting for the teams to play their play-in games, seeding themselves as well? Um, do you think it's fair to like a Boston Bruins who was leading the league all year long to to lose that distinction of being the number one team and getting the weaker opponent per se um, and just reseeding throughout the playoffs? I, for one, like it. I think it adds a little bit more intrigue. Yeah. It gives them something to play for other than just toiling around the ice and trying not to get injured. And then I like the reseeding throughout the playoffs. I think, again, it adds a little intrigue and wrinkles. You may see matchups you might not get to see regularly. Well, I, I think... David Quinn put it best in one of his um, online interviews a couple of weeks back. Like, you want to talk about fair, take that word fair and throw it out the window. Because nothing's going to be totally fair at this point, given the state of the world right now. Yep. Uh, because they went to a conference setup, they had to do seeding. They didn't, they, you know, the, the divisional stuff went away, so you can't really apply that route with respect to the playoffs. So the seeding, I think it's fun. We had Ryan Reeves on our series that show on, on Saturday. 
He said, and I asked him, like, how do you think you guys are going to play these seeding games? They're going to play them like regular games. They're going to play them like playoff games. That that's the approach they you have to right because yeah. this is prepping you for that. Is it unfair to a team like Boston? Yeah, because they they had put the distance between themselves and Tampa. I think they had a ten point lead, so they were going to be the number one seed, right? But again, look, I would say this even with respect to the brackets and people say, oh, win the games. Like if you lose, it's an excuse. Win the games. Like, yeah. There's nothing preventing you from beating these teams, and if you beat the better teams, you're gonna have to play good teams at some point, right? Now maybe this year there's some teams that don't deserve to be in, like Montreal, Chicago, that you might get a you know a, you know a little bit of a breather. But that's that's when the danger is, because I'm sure last year Tampa thought they were getting a breather in Columbus. Oh yeah, right? and 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 that didn't work out so great for them. So I, I don't th- I think it's the best they could. Now what I do think is going to happen. As an offshoot of this, I think that first of all, the response that look at the viewership with respect to sports around uh, the stakes, like pro, the pressure ball riders are getting like eight hundred thousand watches on CBS. Like I think the ratings are really are you know astronomical. Number one. So what does that mean? I think next season they're going to expand the playoffs. I think you see twenty teams, and I think you see a playoff round because the playoff round is going to have success here, and I think you'll have seven, eight, nine, ten play a playoff round. Or, or playing round. I think that's what's going to happen because look, they have to they have to increase revenues, get back to the four point eight billion, equalize things with respect to escrow. So how do you do that? You have more playoff games. So I think that that's I think that's what will be the offshoot of this because I do expect real big numbers with respect to watching. And remember, this was be the window for NBC to have the Olympics. Maybe there's no Olympics. They yeah. got a lot more eyeballs on this, and the NLS ratings have been great. I mentioned PBR. You know the NASCAR and the car. Ratings are through the roof. So golf. Every sport is through. has been such a pent up demand for this game that if you're a hockey fan, are you going to be tuning in? Of course you are. Like, even in other places in Buffalo, because Buffalo's ratings in the states are off the chart. But I, I just think that so that's it. So I think the seating is fair. Again, the best of some bad ideas. Uh, I think it's going to be great, and I think it is going to be a lead in towards the following season where we probably have expanded playoffs in one playing playing round. Well, you bringing up what you just did. I'll we'll end it on this question here. So, have you heard anything about the expanded playoffs or the play-in being a regular thing? Has it been bantied about by people that you speak with? Or is that something that you're kind of surmising right now that's going to be a thing that gets the NHL back to even? Or, like I said, is it being bantied about by uh, the people in the know? I think there's been conversation about it for probably prior to the uh, the pause and play. I think that, that's been always consideration. Again, you're going to have a 32nd team in the league next year in Seattle. That's going to help raise revenue, but I think that um, I, I think there's always been that discussion about it. So is it, you know, is that me talking with Gary Bettman or Bill Daly about it? No, but I, I think the expectation is, is that they're going to be further expenses. Because remember, the NFL, as great as the NFL is, they expanded their playoffs as well. Yep. So I think they would follow suit. Uh, and not to, that's something crazy, but I think they would go to 20 and then have these teams playing because I think they, they understand once they see the reaction to these games in the playing man, I think if there's a great excuse say, hey, look, it works so well, we're going to do this. And again, they have to drive revenues leading and you get more revenues with respect to player hockey as opposed to regular season. doesn't mean they're going to shorten the regular season. They do want to play 82 games this season. But my expectation is um, expand the playoffs next season. Uh, well, we're looking forward to it and looking forward to your coverage. Dennis, where can people find you and listen to everything that you do, my friend? They can find me everywhere now. They, uh, <laughs> you can go to fourthperiod.com for my uh, writing. Um, you can visit Kings of the Podcast on every major platform right now. We did a great interview with Rob Blake. We just released one today with um, Trevor Lewis. Um, and then uh, SiriusXM on s- Saturdays from 11 to 1 Eastern. Uh, we do the hot stove with myself, uh, Dave Panyota, and Ryan Payton. And then on various different um, radio, terrestrial radio stations. You can follow me on Dennis TFP and I tweet out updates. I'll be on Montreal Radio uh, probably in about 90 minutes, but then we'll do probably twice a week for Montreal. Um, and just follow me on Twitter. That's where you can get all the information. Well, Dennis, I want to thank you very much for taking the time today. It's absolutely yeah. awesome. We uh, covered it all, it seems, but uh, look forward to your coverage. Be safe when you get out to Edmonton and uh, hopefully we get you on while you're in the Hub City and talk some more hockey. Be happy to do it. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it. So as you heard, that was Dennis Bernstein, LA Insider, Senior Writer at the 4th Period, a Pro Hockey Writer Association, LA Chapter. He is the chair, Sirius XM, NHL, Hot Stove, you heard. He is there on Saturdays, and Kings of the Pod creator, 
and you can listen to Kings of the Pod found everywhere you get your podcast. And of course, he is a reporter for the NHL Network, heading down to Edmonton to be in the hub, to be a part of history when the games get back to the ice. Guys, this was a great interview, chock full of everything for the LA Kings, the Maple Leafs, Return to Play, CBA, you name it. Check it out. It's coming. It's here. It's live. Let's go. Let's go.